How's everybody? We are in a book called Philippians. We just spent almost a year going through a series called Gospel Foundations, and it's teaching us the central biblical teachings of Christianity. And what we do here, week in and week out, whether it's from here or it's in our small groups, it is to show us that we need the Word of God in all circumstances. That the truth of God's Word is what we need. So it is our desire to teach and preach through books of the Bible and to preach topically at times. And so in this series through Philippians, we're going through Philippians, we're going to spend a few months here, uh, take us probably to the end of November. We're going to be going through chunks of Philippians. And if you're not familiar with this letter, or if you are, I hope that you are gaining insight of, as to what God has to say about himself and about each of us. And so we're in the letter of the Philippians, not the Philippines, Philippians. It's written to people, to believers in a place called Philippi. And so this letter is one of Paul's. So the Apostle Paul is a follower of Christ. And he had this dramatic conversion where he persecuted the church and, and tormented and caused infliction towards believers. Christ encountered him, changed his life, changed his mind, is now starting new churches and wants to see this message of the good news of Jesus go throughout the world. So Paul is the one who wrote this letter alongside a man named Timothy. And this is one of his most personal letters. He loved the people of Philippi. This was the first church he ever started. One of the first converts of Europe is in this church. The first church in Europe is Philippi. He has great affection, which we'll see throughout these coming weeks for these people and what this letter means to each of us that we would know true joy and true life that is found in Christ alone. There's a lot of messages out there on TV, on the internet, in our world, in Whitehorse, that want to say joy is found elsewhere. Joy is found in nature. Joy is found in a political party. Joy is found in the Yukon. But the Bible pushes against all that. It says joy is found in Christ alone. True life and meaning is found in Christ alone. If you do not know Jesus, it is my hope, it is my prayer that you would know him and that you would go to him. And so we're in the book of Philippians, but we're actually not going to start there. We're going to start in a book called Acts. Acts chapter 16. And the book of Acts is what happened to the known world at the time when Jesus had shown up and he said, I was gonna go, I'm going to go back to heaven. And he did. He ascended back to heaven and he leaves his spirit. And the, this is how people reacted. This is how his followers acted. And so the book of Acts, it's a historical book that we read about and how these followers of Jesus turn the world upside down. And so Paul, he's on this missionary journey, sharing the good news of Jesus, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection to people. And he comes upon a place called Philippi. And this is the foundation. This is the intro 
to the book of Philippians. Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read from verses 6 to 40 in Acts chapter 16. Verses 6 to 40. Here we go. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. I'm going to have a quiz about these places afterwards, so please be taking notes. Spelling matters. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day, we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. I was going to pause it for a second. Paul and his friends are looking for, typically when they go from town to town, a synagogue. And a synagogue is a place where Jewish people would meet and they would teach from the scriptures and they would learn about God. But unless a city has 10 Jewish men or more, you can't establish a synagogue. So now they're looking for a prayer meeting, essentially. There's this women's prayer meeting. Let me read that again. Verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to, the, to a riverbank where we thought that people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. And she listened to us. The Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she agreed. She urged us until we agreed. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men! are servants of the Most High God. They have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exacerbated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly I left her. The master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors 
immediately flew open. And the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, Let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, The city officials have said, You and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, They have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left the town. This is the origin story of the church in Philippi. He's in Philippi, Paul and his friends. And three people came to know Jesus. You had Lydia from Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, which means means she is rich. She is wealthy. She's got homes across the land. This is Lydia. The next, you had the conversion of a slave girl who was following them and saying, you guys are the followers of God, but she's demon-possessed, and Paul is so fed up. He's like, okay, get out, demon. Cast the demon out, and she becomes a Christian. They get thrown into jail because the people who owned this demon-possessed girl were making money off her, and they're making lies, saying, hey, these Jews, which Romans weren't super fond of, and historically were kicking people, Jewish people out of the city, were saying, hey, these people are causing an uproar. But really, they were selfish, and they just weren't making any money. So, hey, just put them in jail. That would be good for us. Now they end up in jail. Behind bars. In some of these Roman prisons, you have chains, and you're chained up to a guard. So Paul, as you can imagine, is chained up physically to another human being, what does Paul do in this situation? He may have cried. It doesn't record that. But what it does record is he started singing hymns. He started singing about Jesus. I heard one pastor say those guards were a literal captive audience. And so he is singing about God. He's telling this jailer about God. And he becomes a believer in Jesus. The first members of this church in Philippi, a Wealthy upper businesswoman, a demon-possessed little girl, and a blue-collared worker. You have a very diverse group of people. 
who form the core team of this church. And so when we look around churches, our own church included, there should be this diversity. We're looking for that demon-possessed girl. There should be rich people, there should be poor people, and everyone in between. You don't have just one class of people. Because the gospel transforms lives, doesn't matter who you are. Are you rich? The gospel will speak to that. Are you a demon-possessed little girl and you don't have a family? Christ is good news for you. Are you a blue-collared worker working for the government? This news is for you. And so as Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, this is the history of when he was led by the Holy Spirit to this town Philippi. And these amazing things happened. And now he's writing this letter from a jail. He's in house arrest for two years. He calls the people of Philippi his beloved in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says to them, you are my joy and my crown in Philippians chapter 4. This is one of the only letters that Paul writes to churches that there is no criticism of them. There's nothing but encouragement and joy. So this letter was written 12 years after the conversion of Lydia and the demon-possessed girl and the jailer. It's also a thank you letter to the Philippians. The church was very poor, but they're very generous. They were helping support Paul in his missionary endeavors to see the gospel go throughout the world. And as he's writing this in house arrest in Rome, the major theme of this book is rejoicing during suffering. Rejoicing during suffering. Are you suffering? I know many of you are. Hearing heart-wrenching tales of sick grandchildren, falling apart families, struggling to find food, struggling to find a job. Are you struggling? Paul is saying, despite our circumstance, despite our circumstance, we can rejoice because of who Christ is and what he has done, and he is with you. Paul wants to encourage the Philippians, the believers who are going through a hard time. People are persecuting them, trying to harm them, speaking ill of them. And so it's helpful when we we do introductions to books, and this is will this will be just an introduction to Philippians. You know the context of the place. So Philippi. Philippi is named after King Philip II. King Philip II was father to Alexander the Great. So if you're a history buff, Alexander the Great is a very important person in history. And you don't get the word great after your name by just being a regular person. King Philip II was Alexander's father. That's what Philippi was named after. It's this really wealthy Roman colony, Philippi. They wanted it to be like mini-Rome. And if you're a Roman citizen, you have certain rights. 
You can buy and sell land freely. You don't have to pay taxes. So you'd want to go there. And, and Philippi is made primarily of Roman war veterans. And so they treated this place like Rome. Even though it's not in Italy, they had all these rights. So it was very rich. It was very affluent. And the main language there spoken was Latin. And so I was mentioning earlier, because most of the city are, is uh, military war veterans, you don't have a lot of Jewish people. You have primarily Romans. That's why they don't have a synagogue. And as we do a quick glance of the book of Philippians, thinking of this context, thinking of the start of this church and Paul's affection and joy for them, here are some of the most famous verses in Philippians and in all the Bible. If you are a Christian, I guarantee you, you have a coffee mug or a tattoo of these, one of these verses. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, Jesus Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. Philippians 3 chapter or Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Philippians chapter 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a sweet promise. And my last key verse, there's many good ones, uh, Philippians 4, chapter, th- or chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you're a Christian, I hope when you hear these verses, they're just sweet to hear. And they're such a good reminder that this is not the life we live for. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. That when we die, it's not over. So there's an eternal promise and destiny that is for us. And when Paul says, rejoice, always rejoice. If we're honest, I don't think we see a lot of rejoicing amongst Christians. There's a lot of complaining and bemoaning and whining. I'm talking about myself. But when Paul considers the greatness and goodness and surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. He considers it all lost to know him. Rejoice always. And in the depths of our sorrow, whatever you're going through, whether at work, whether unemployed, whether in your marriage, Paul says, I can do all things. I can do all things. I can raise these children. I can be a better husband. 
I can work harder. By the grace of God, I can read the Bible and I can pray with my family. I can do all things through what? Red Bull? No. Through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ. And as we're doing this overview, I want to bring us to three key themes that we're going to see over these next few months in the book of Philippians. Unity, rejoicing, and seeing Jesus as a humble servant. Unity, rejoicing, and Jesus as a humble servant. So briefly, about each. Unity. We are united with Christ. We are united with Christ. If you've placed your faith in Him, and if you haven't, I plead with you that you place your faith in Christ. The Bible says you are united with Him in His death and in His resurrection. And the sin and the rebellion and the evil that we have committed, which deserves the full wrath and penalty of God is placed on Jesus Christ. And his innocence is exchanged by faith for our sin. We're united with him. He gives us a new spirit and new affections. The things that we used to love, we don't love anymore. If you weren't a Christian, the Bible was a dead, religious, ancient, silly, stupid book. But if you're a believer, this book is life. It guides everything. It is the source of all truth. And we bring it everywhere. Maybe not physically, at least it's on your phone. If you don't have a Bible, please talk to us. We will give you a Bible. We need to know the Word of God. And we're united around this book. This illustration I... I borrow from another pastor, I don't know who said it, but the tuning fork, the when the musicians, it doesn't matter what instrument you play, you tune yourself to the conductor and the tuning fork. If you tune yourself to that, you're then tuned with one another. This is the great tuning fork. The great conductor is God. We need to know what he wants. And we play this melody together in our city. We play a, a new song. We play a new melody. And its final note is found in heaven. But now here, when we sing these songs, they shouldn't be empty words. They're praise to our king. These are the call of our heart. And we want the world to hear it. I want my family to hear it. None of my family, on either side, my mothers or fathers, none of them are believers in Jesus. I would love to see my dad here, my mom, singing these songs with me, reading the Bible at their dinner table, and my dad opening up Philippians and saying, Son, isn't this such a good promise? Don't we serve an amazing king? And when we're united, we can rejoice together. not because of our hockey team winning or because of our soccer team, which we will rejoice when those things happen, but we rejoice because of what Christ has done. 
Paul says we can rejoice in our persecutions. There's nothing you can do to Paul. You slap him around, he starts singing songs. You put him in jail, he's converting the whole jail. He's rejoicing. He rejoices in the Lord. He rejoices in the Philippians. Rejoice always. Always. He says that nine times in this book. It's more than any other book in the New Testament. He uses the word joy six times. And that's more than any other epistle or teaching that he writes. Rejoice. We need to find our joy in Christ. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. It should be a walking and living contradiction to have a cynical saint or to have a complaining Christian. The things that are worth complaining about. But we should be people of rejoicing. And lastly, Jesus is the central theme of not only Philippians, but the whole Bible. Jesus is the central theme of the whole Bible. Paul is asking and calling us to be humble servants. Why? Because Christ humbled himself to the point of death to bring us victory. His death brings us life. His punishment brings us freedom. He humbled himself. He, Jesus, being God, the creator of the universe, the creator of all these galaxies. He is allowing us to breathe right now. This God becomes man. Comes down as a little baby. He's not even born in a hospital. He's born in a a feeding trough with animals. That's humiliation. So if you're thinking, we want a king, and they're like, the Christian's like, there's our king. He's that little baby in that feeding trough. The Romans are like, that's ridiculous. The Jews are like, that's stupid. But the Christians will say, this is true. Watch as this man grows up. This God-man. He humbled himself to the point of death in the cross. No, he did not deserve death. We all do. But he stood. He stood in our place. Humbling himself. The humble servant. This is the core of our motivation to live like Christ because of what he has done. Jesus is central. Jesus is key. If we want to see families restored in our city, if we want to see churches founded all over the Yukon in places where there are no churches, we need to fix our eyes on the great conductor, see where he is going, pray and ask for wisdom, and go where he is going. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to leave it all behind and follow him 
to wherever he goes. Because if Christ died for us, there is nothing he can't ask of us. We must humble ourselves. Humble ourselves in conversation. Humble ourselves in our attitude and thinking we know more about the Bible and lord it over people. Humble ourselves when we think the wealth that we have is because we've just worked really hard and neglect the goodness of God in giving us these gifts. Humble ourselves as Christ humbled himself. And through this humility, through this rejoicing, and through this unity, would we see the Yukon a place where Christ is central everywhere. For his glory and for our joy. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we journey into your story, help us to realize where we fit into your story. Help us to see the book of Philippians as a guide into your heart and how we are to serve in our lives that you would be made much of. We pray for the children who are hearing this great news. Would you transform their hearts? Would we see schools transformed? Our neighborhoods changed for the gospel? Help us to seek unity, to rejoice, and to fix our eyes on you, the great conductor. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.